0: Hey everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, January 15th. Time for episode 333 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at CLNSmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. All about the Josh McDaniels drama, and I want to bring in somebody who has been on top of it from the get-go. That is colleague Evan Lazar. How you doing, Evan?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. You had a terrific breakdown of not only why uh, Josh McDaniels is not in Cleveland, but what it means for the Patriots going forward. What are some of your biggest takeaways?
1: Well, I think the biggest takeaway I have from the Browns job is that Josh McDaniels is not going to pick his next head coaching job if he does get one. Lightly, You know, he's not taking the whole process lightly, and he's not going to just go jump into another organization, especially one like the Cleveland Browns that's had 17 years of missing the postseason, which is the longest active drought in the NFL at the moment. He's not going to just go in there and just be a head coach and just go with the status quo of a failing organization, he went into Cleveland. They had a five-hour interview with Josh McDaniels, which was pretty standard for their interview process, and he had an elaborate step-by-step plan of how exactly he wanted to overhaul football operations for the Browns and bring in his own system which loosely obviously mimicked what the Patriots are doing with Bill Belichick and Nick Casario and that kind of hierarchy. And as you would expect, Paul DiPodesta, the right-hand man to Jimmy Haslam, who is probably going to be somewhat replaced or at least his powers checked in McDaniels' little scheme, was not too fond of that, as you might expect. And he didn't want to go in that direction. And so his guy ends up winning. But I think the biggest thing that you notice with McDaniels is that he is not going into the next job, just taking over a team and just going with exactly what the ownership group and the general manager or the football operations guy in charge is going to go with. He wants to go into it and have full control and have his entire plan kind of thought out and, uh, put together and I heard the plan was very impressive and the Browns were even impressed by Josh McDaniels and his interview process but they just weren't ready to kind of upheave everything that they had grown in from a football operation standpoint so that's the
0: to me that's the crux of the matter in this whole thing this was McDaniels saying no to the Browns or the Browns saying no no to McDaniels which do you think it was more of
1: I would say that Brown said no to McDaniels, but McDaniels' kind of stipulations, if you will, were really, really lofty kind of dream-type goals that – he looked at it like he wants to essentially be in line with the GM and have the two of them from a head coach GM standpoint, or maybe even I don't know the exact details of his plan. He might have even looked at it as I want full control of the 90-man roster and my GM is going to be more like a player director of player personnel than he is going to be a GM title. So I think the Browns said no to him because of how elaborate of a upheaval and of a difference of approach that he was going to bring to the table and he basically said this is my plan this is my presentation take it or leave it and they decided to leave it
0: so here's how i read it paul de podesta wanted the flexibility of somebody you know stack type of guy in mcdaniel's or one of mcdaniel's coordinators ears throughout the game there was no way he was going to sign off on that.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is, is that the Patriots don't have an analytics guy by all they accounts. Have they have Ernie Adams. They have an Ernie Adams, right? So they do have somebody that's in the coach's ears working on what Belichick would call situational analysis, right? It, examining what it is, fourth and one, this is the game situation, this is the score, this is how the game's been trending. Belichick looks at it. Analytics look at things from a bird's eye view, 80, you know, 40,000 feet in the air. And they say, over the course of all of our simulations of all of our data and our database, this is how we project this game finishing. If you make this decision, if you go for it on this fourth down, if you go for two here, Belichick looks at it as all in a vacuum of what is happening on the field that Sunday. He does not interested in what happened 10 years ago. He's not interested in what happened last Correct. week. He's only interested in what happened that day. So they look at it as situational analysis from each given game, the sequence of plays, the way the game has been trending. So I think McDaniels would be very open to that type of person. But getting kind of these things, one thing that you can always bank on with head coaching searches that are often very difficult to pass if you're a GM or an owner is putting stipulations of we want this guy on your coaching staff, we want this guy in your ear. People don't like that very much. It's a big reason. And why Matt Rule is not the head coach of the New York Jets, and he's now the coach of the Carolina Panthers. The Jets offered him a job last year, and and they were said to Matt Rule, though we want your DC and your OC to be the following two people, and he rejected them. So I think that there is kind of a risk that you take if your ownership or if your hiring, you know, managers of this decision, if you kind of put those heavy stipulations on a coach and say you need to do this. Now, obviously, Stefanski agreed to it, and he's a little bit closer to De Podesta. He won out at the end of the day. Today. Stefanski did because he was De Podesta's pick from last year. De Podesta actually wanted to hire him over Freddie Kitchens, and Jimmy Haslam went above De Podesta and said, we're sticking with Freddie or we're promoting Freddie. So that's why Stefanski wasn't the head coach of the Browns in 2019, and now De Podesta gets his way, gets his guy, and he'll be the head coach in 2020. See, it just seems...
0: I was willing to give Jimmy Haslam a lot of credit, and I went on this radio show uh, in Akron, Ohio, a friend of mine who is a radio host out there, and he was shocked when I said that Haslam is doing the right thing by bringing in several qualified candidates, and I very much believe that. But then it's, you know, reading after the fact, the role and the hand that T. Podesta has in all of this, takes away some of the credibility and takes away some of the the credence that i and the, the praise that i gave haslam because it sounds like you're allowing too many generals to decide the next head coach
1: yeah i want to one up that too I, this is not breaking news or anything like that but paul d podesta has been managing the browns from los angeles for most of his tenure as i right. believe his official titles like director of football operations or something like that, and he's been managing them from 3,000 miles away. He's officially the chief strategy officer of the Cleveland Browns. The chief strategy officer is never in the building. So I think that that really is a signal to me. When you look at, you know, the Patriots are just one team, right? I hate to always kind of come back to the Patriots and say, this is the right way to do things. But if you look at the way that they do things, Bill Belichick, Nick Casario, Bob Kraft, Josh McDaniels, uh, Bill Sun, Gerard Mayo, all these play- people, all Monty Fort go right and down the line, are all located at One Patriot Place. That's their home office. That's where all of them are. That's where all of them can be found. And then you got the Browns, who haven't made the playoffs in 17 years, have Paul D. Podesta, a baseball guy, coming over to football that's nowhere to be found in the building during the season. I think that tells you everything that you need to know about the Cleveland Browns.
0: Okay, Josh McDaniels. Him returning to New England in 2020, presumably, to be, again, the offensive coordinator, how much does that increase the odds that Brady is back in 2020?
1: Yeah, that's a big question. I think the biggest thing is is that it can't hurt. And I think the biggest thing the Patriots have to offer Brady – is continuity, right? Just the ability to go about it another season without learning a new system, without hearing in the ear new coaches, without going to a whole new organization that he has no familiarity with. The Patriots offer him by far the best continuity. I mean, another team like the Chargers or, uh, you know, whoever it may be, the Bears, they can go and they can say, listen, Tom, we're going to change our entire offensive system like the, Col- uh, the Broncos did in 2013 for Peyton Manning. We're going to change the entire thing so it fits you and you're going to feel comfortable, but it's still going to be a learning curve, right? It's still going to be a learning curve for all the players still there, and it's also going to be a learning curve for Brady just being in a new place. The Patriots now can say to Brady, we're going to improve the weapons around you, but from a power structure standpoint and from a brain trust standpoint, we're running it back. We're going to have McDaniels. We're going to have... Scarnecchio, We're going to have Ivan Fears. We're going to have all the gang back. We're going to get you know, a wide receivers coach in here that can actually really help those young guys out. Maybe it's Chad O'Shea. Maybe it's another guy. Maybe they just promote Troy Brown. Who knows? But we're going to get a wide receivers coach in here that's specifically tailored to wide receivers. It's focused 100% on the receivers. We're going to improve your weapons and nothing else for you is going to change. And to me, that is still the best offer on the table for Tom Brady. And Mike Reese reported over the weekend that he feels just his gut feeling. There's about an 80% chance that Brady returns. I've been in that boat the entire offseason, really, since this topic started. The conversation started towards the beginning of December. I think it's a very, very high probability that Tom Brady returns. I think that continuity and just comfortableness with the pieces around him, with the stadium, with being at home here in New England, I think that that ends up being too much of a callback than going to a new organization and starting fresh.
0: Speaking with a CLNS media Patriots expert, It's conference championship time, and you can follow all of the lines at betonline.ag. The early game on Sunday features Cinderella, Tennessee, on the road at Kansas City, which is a touchdown favorite with the total in the low 50s. On Sunday evening, after that game, Green Bay heads to San Francisco as a touchdown dog with the total in the mid-40s. Who will reign supreme and host the conference championship hardware Before the next kickoff, head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bring the playoffs home with our exclusive sportsbook online partner, betonline.ag. Back with Evan Lazar of CLNS Media. Uh, All right, we're going to finish up Tom Brady talk here. I am not of the belief that Brady necessarily comes back, but not because of the reasons that I think a lot of people are thinking. I think that Bill Belichick wants to move on, and I'm also of the belief that maybe Tom Brady wants to move on, and I still get that sense that it's not going to be, if he plays next year, it's not going to be in New England. I understand. I very much respect the thoughts of, of guys like Mike Reese and certainly yourself, but I just get a different vibe from the whole situation. Totally could be wrong. He might be playing in 2020, but the way this season ended with the way things type kind of slowed down uh, in his productivity. Um, I think the Patriots might be willing to move on from that. We'll see.
1: I think that you're coming from a place of reason, right? Like it's a logical conclusion to get to. I think that the biggest thing for me is that anybody out there, at least in my opinion right now, based off of what we know, if anybody out there thinks that Tom Brady is going to break the $25 million mark in a contract with the Patriots at this point, I would like to hear your reasoning as to why the Patriots would actually agree to that sort of deal. And I really think that the biggest obstacle for Brady coming back— is not going to be money. It's actually going to be the weapons surrounding him. And that's why I, I think that he is willing to kind of string this process out a little bit, maybe even go deep into free agency with it, because I think he wants to see what the pieces are that the Patriots go out and get. Well, who do they trade for and who do they sign right. before he makes a decision? Because I don't think he really cares about the draft in April. I don't think he cares about adding another rookie. Right, I think he cares way more about the veteran talent that they're able to acquire, and then he's going to make a decision from there. So I think that you're in agreement, I assume, that if they went out and trade for, let's say, Odell Beckham, that then that changes the whole equation for Tom Brady. But I think at the end of the day, money-wise, if that's an important thing to Brady, which I can't imagine that it would would be at this stage of his career, given his his history. But if it's important to him to get top-of-the-market quarterback money and be one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league and be able to say Tom Brady, highest-paid QB in the NFL, there's no way in hell Bill Belichick is giving him that contract. And Bill, in that opinion, in my opinion, my gut, is that Bill would much rather move on at that point than to pay Brady $30 million a year to play quarterback. The other thing, too is I think that Bill is getting a little bit giddy about not having to pay a quarterback that kind of salary and being able to do what the Rams did or what the Bears did and build around a rookie quarterback contract. That's probably the most valuable, the Seahawks also, that's probably the most valuable thing in the NFL if you're a team is to have a good quarterback that you can win games with and you can compete for championships with that are making $500,000 a year because then you can go in and fill out all the pieces and throw all the money at the rest of the roster and no quarterback is set. The Dallas Cowboys with Dak, the Seahawks with Russell Wilson. There's so many examples over the last couple of years of that formula really working out. You load up the rest of the roster. The quarterback is on the cheap. And I think that Bill Belichick, the kind of roster builder, would love an opportunity to not have a 25 to $30 million cap hit on a quarterback holding him back.
0: Well, Look no further than the AFC uh, host of the AFC championship, Pat Pat Mahomes. And you get a a surefire example of what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, it's a great example. The Chiefs were able to go out and make moves and get guys like Frank Clark and Honey Badger and – you know, a lot of different kind of off-season moves. They're allowed to go out and sign a Sammy Watkins and extend guys like Kelsey and Tyree Kill and keep those guys there. So because Patrick Mahomes' can is down the road for when they're actually going to have to pay him. Now, I love, it's fascinating once they actually do pay the quarterback, though, to watch kind of how that trickles down. And, And some of the fringe guys that you don't really think about but are really, really key for depth pieces This happened to the Rams. You know, those depth pieces that you don't really talk about, you have to get rid of those guys, and it ends up putting holes in other parts of your roster. But for that three- to four-year window, you have the prime of salary cap heaven. That's exactly what you want is a cheap quarterback and allows you to flexibility across the rest of the roster.
0: All right, let's take a look back at the uh, AFC Divisional Round uh, and the NFC, for that matter. How shocked were you the Ravens lost Saturday night? I was not.
1: I was shocked that they lost the way that they lost. You know, I I think that getting beat by two touchdowns was a little bit shocking to me. I do think, and I'm a huge Lamar supporter. I've always been a Lamar supporter going back to the draft. He had over 500 yards of total offense. I get that he was playing from behind. But I think the biggest thing that you look at from Lamar is that their equation, every team in my mind has like a winning formula, right? And their equation is to play from ahead. And if they have to play from behind, And he has to throw the ball 50 times to get them back into a game. That's something that I don't think that this Ravens offense has proven that it can do yet. So the Titans did a great job of getting out ahead in that game and playing a game from ahead and forcing Lamar Jackson to throw the football. And it's nothing to do with Lamar's inability to throw the football. That's not where I'm going with it. It's just not how their entire offense is built. Their offense is built around their running game. It's built around playing with the lead and pounding the rock and taking the clock out of the game and really just suffocating the other team with long drives like we saw them do against the Patriots. And when you put up points against them early and put them in a spot where they're behind, then it's really hard for to come back at that point so I think this is really a great learning experience for Lamar though and for the Ravens in general a lot of their younger players because that team's going to be around right that team as long as Lamar Jackson's the quarterback he's going to keep them around and in the playoff hunt for years to come so I think it's really going to be a good thing for them in the long run because a lot of those quarterbacks need that kind of failure that first experience of failure to eventually then go ahead and, and break through.
0: You know what I thought about um Kansas City the last month of the year? Give it to me. They were clearly the best team in the AFC. And yeah. yes, they fell behind twenty four nothing uh on Sunday uh to Houston, but I never felt like Houston was the better team. Even when they were up twenty four nothing I'm like and I even tweeted this out, Houston's not really gonna host Tennessee in the AFC championship game, are they? And I just simply because I felt like Kansas City was going to find a way to wake up and get rid of the jitters that they clearly had. there. I mean, how many drop passes did they have in the first 15 yeah. to 20 minutes of that game? A lot. But then when Kansas City turns it on, they are clearly the best team in the AFC. Better than Baltimore, better than New England, better than Houston. Any team that I've seen in the AFC this year, I think they're going to be the best representative in the Super Bowl. And I think they're going to beat uh, Tennessee on, on um, Sunday at home.
1: Yeah, we didn't you know, publish any videos or anything like that with predictions for the postseason, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. But I would have picked Kansas City to come out of the AFC before this whole thing even started because I looked at the way that they were trending. They've improved a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Steve Spagnola. Yeah, the defensive side of the ball has gone from what it was last year when the Patriots beat them twice a true Achilles heel of that team and the reason why they didn't win a Super Bowl or get to a Super Bowl, to an average to above-average defense. I think they finished middle of the road in the regular season and DVOA. They are trending upwards. They're playing more man coverage. They have the bodies on the back end to handle that. They haven't had the same kind of pass rush that they had last year with D. Ford and Justin Houston, but they're able to generate pressure pressure with scheme with blitzes and stunts up front and different things that Spagnola is known for doing with his defensive lines, rushing four a lot, stunting them, twisting those linemen up front and getting pressure with four has been a big part of what they've been able to do. And the honey badger, Tyron Matthew has been an absolute game changer for them at safety and really has brought an all-pro level play for them for basically most of the second half of the season. So you had a defense that is now, not I wouldn't call it a strength, but it's not a weakness anymore, and you put you know, with Patrick Mahomes and what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me about that Chiefs-Houston game was just how quickly the whole thing flipped, and it was the explosiveness of the Chiefs' offense, or the Chiefs' playmakers, I should say. That kick return by McCole Hardman started the entire thing. That was when it started. They were down 24 to nothing. Hartman breaks off a huge kick return after the uh, Texans made a 24-zip, and the whole game changed from that point on. And I think that they still, out of any team in the NFL, like the 49ers are a better execution team. When it comes to 11 parts moving together in continuity, in synchronicity, it's something the Patriots could never get going on offense this year. The 49ers have that going on both sides of the ball, and they're well – Oiled machine. They remind me a lot of like a really good Patriots team, right? Where everything just fits and everything clicks and there's no kind of giddy ups in the, in the step. The Chiefs are explosive. And the Chiefs can flip a switch on you like they did on Houston and rattle off 24 straight points in a one quarter to get out of a 24 to nothing hole. So two different kind of ways or approaches of it. One is more like the steady way and one's more of the volatile, you know, highs and lows type of way. But the Chiefs are so damn explosive on offense that it really, it, they are, I think, the best team in the AFC.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, NFC, I want your quick takes on, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the touch passes he had to seal that game against Seattle. That was amazing. Yeah. And I just thought uh San Francisco was pretty much what everybody expected San Francisco to be going up against Minnesota. Clearly, I thought the superior team.
1: Yeah. Like I said with San Francisco, just to, like, wrap that up, Kyle Shanahan, uh Robert Sala, those guys – are playing, they have their players playing as crisp football as execution sound fundamentally of a team that I have seen in a couple of years, maybe since like a peak Patriots team. They really have those guys just moving all 11 guys attached to one string on both sides of the ball. It's really a, a joy to watch and the scheme offensively is obviously tremendous on its own. With- with Kyle Shanahan, but if you can then take the scheme and have good players executing it as well as those guys are executing it, I think that one thing that stood out against the Vikings, they both are outside zone based offenses, right? So they're going to run wide zone, outside zone, yep. and they're going to run counters off of that. But the 49ers have four or five counters that they can run off of that, whereas the Vikings only have one or two. So the diversity of the 49ers running game, even though that's their base, is just tremendous. And you go up against a team as primary one, you know, kind of way of running the football, like the Rams in the Super Bowl last year. If they don't have a gap counter that they can go away from the wide zone and they can run a lead play or they can run a a guard pole play like a power uh, with a tight end on the line of scrimmage or run away concept or just do something different to show the defense then they come, be, can become predictable and the defense executes their game plan they're going to shut it down the 49ers have an answer to every little thing that you might throw their direction and they have diversity from all their entire running game it's really probably the best we have in the NFL right now the best built rushing attack outside of Baltimore Baltimore is a thing of beauty Lamar is obviously on a different level when that thing is humming but in terms of what they can do with really just a more traditional rushing attack that doesn't involve the quarterback heavily. The Niners are are scheming it up uh, better than any team in the NFL right now. So I'm really impressed with them. As far as Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson go, that was one of the better quarterback matchups I've seen in the playoff game in quite some time as well. I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but the way that those two guys played, Russell Wilson obviously getting out of – they, the Packers could have probably had 10 sacks in that game. If if Russell Wilson's not the quarterback and the way that Russell Wilson danced out of all those sacks, made plays out of structure, made plays in structure, just the way that those two quarterbacks elevated what was around them and made just big time, big time plays one after the other. But I will say this about the Seahawks. Their plan against Devontae Adams was we don't have a plan. And that was disappointing. You know, they didn't play a lot of the game, and they're typical. We got post-safety coverage help, and the corner is going to play with outside leverage, and we're going to have inside They were playing single-high
0: safety most of the game.
1: Most of the game, and they let the one player that they couldn't let beat them in Devontae Adams have not only a huge game stat line-wise, but then also have the biggest catch in the game on that third down on that final drive for Green Bay. So just from a game plan standpoint – I know Seattle likes to do what they do and they kind of just roll with their scheme and they count on execution and fundamentals and being sound within their scheme to kind of, you know, trump a game plan type of defense. But when you go up against a guy like Adams, who is singularly, other than Green Bay's running game and the passing game, singularly the biggest threat that they have by far. And you can't get them to rely on Jimmy. Graham and Geronimo Allison and Alan Lazard and all these other pieces, then you kind of get what's coming to you when you let Adams go off like that.
0: Totally agree, and uh, I just think it's going to be a a pretty fascinating couple of storylines between the Titans going to KC, and KC obviously wants to redeem themselves for what happened last year against the Patriots uh, in overtime, and uh, obviously with San Francisco and Green Bay, um, really...
1: Storylines,
0: Great storylines, and um, I-, I will say that I thought all year long the Saints were going to wind up in the NFC Championship. I was wrong. Obviously, they couldn't even beat Minnesota at home on the turf in the Dome, uh, but uh, with Green Bay and San Francisco, you just have... Two great offenses going up against one another. Um, I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing those two teams uh, play for the NFC Championship. We have to touch on Patrick Chung, uh, the news that came out on Monday. And I think as expected, uh, Patrick Chung had a charge of cocaine possession brought against him in New Hampshire. Conditionally dismissed. um uh, the attorney handling it, the county attorney up in New Hampshire, Andrew uh, Livernoy, uh, announced Monday that there are several conditions if Patrick Chung stays out of trouble for a period of two years, meaning no crimes, felony, or misdemeanor, or major motor vehicles. He'll be, um, the, you know, the... Uh, charge will be thrown out chung will be uh have to submit to periodic drug testing he'll have to perform 40 hours of community service and he agrees to waive his rights to speedy trial and or speedy indictment with regard to charges in the case essentially none of this comes as a surprise to you right
1: no and the biggest news for the patriots is that the way that this statement was worded from the police in new hampshire in uh, laconia new hampshire which is my neck of the woods in the summertime. They worded this piece saying that Patrick Chung, they have dismissed and abandoned the charges, which means that this will not result in a suspension for the Patriot safety because it won't fall under the, the league's drug policy as a strike against him so the patriots dodge a bullet here because chung will not shouldn't face any nfl suspensions and chung obviously gets out of the case and and that's good news for him too so all good on the chung front it obviously pushed off enough to the end of the season they end the season and now there shouldn't be any disciplinary action based off the way that this is statement is worded uh for chung going forward as well
0: Corey McDonald, uh, Chung's lawyer said, quote, we are happy with the agreement and ready to move forward. So obviously, that is because of what you just said that, um, not only, um, did they reach an agreement that, uh, Chung could live with, but they also reached an agreement that Chung's employer, meaning the Patriots, could live with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good news all around. And Chung's another one of those players that is getting up there in age, but is really, really solid in his role took some flack for covering some tight ends and giving up some plays late in the season. But I, I think a really solid football player and a guy that has been a team captain in the past, they're probably looking ahead just to look ahead into the offseason. They're probably looking ahead to uh, replacing him down the road eventually, maybe Terrence Brooks factors into that a little bit for the next couple of years as kind of a bridge player. But right now, Chung is still a pretty solid uh, kind of nickel, box safety star, whatever you want to call him.
0: I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our great guest and colleague, Evan Lazar. Follow him on Twitter as always at EZLAZAR. He has great stuff up almost every single day on CLNSMedia.com. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, betonline.ag. For producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media.